Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm your host, Agas Ramirez. In this two-part episode, we'll be talking about Achenese women at war. In part one, we'll discuss the named women, Chutnak Din and Chutnak Mutia, whose lives are fairly well-documented. In part two, we'll talk about the less-known Achenese women warriors, Pochut Mura Intan, Pochut Baren, Chutnyak Muligo, Tungku Fakina, and Tungku Fatima, as well as the anonymous women, palace guards, guerrillas, and combatants whose names have long been lost to history. We've talked about the Dutch occupation of Indonesia before. In episode 17, we discussed the Nyai or the housekeepers of the Dutch East Indies, whose complicated status reflected many of the changes and inequalities faced by a colony. In this episode, we'll zero in on the colonial history of Aceh. Aceh, in full, is Nangro Aceh Darussalam, or State of Aceh, Abode of Peace. It's an autonomous Dera Istimewa special district. It's also the northernmost and westernmost province of Indonesia. It's surrounded by water on three sides, the Indian Ocean to the west and north and the Strait of Malacca to the east. Aceh became the first Muslim stronghold in Indonesia in the 13th century. The height of its power was during the time of Sultan Iskandar Muda. At the time, there were frequent wars with the Portuguese at Malacca. The Portuguese fleet was defeated at Bintan in 1614. The Dutch in 1599 and the English in 1602 tried unsuccessfully to establish trading settlements in Aceh. After a short-lived alliance with the Dutch in 1641, the Sultanate of Aceh declined in influence. After the Napoleonic Wars, when the East Indies were restored to the Netherlands, the British tried to keep Dutch influence out of Aceh. In 1824, a treaty stipulated that no hostile actions could be undertaken. However, that was withdrawn in 1873, and the Dutch tried to conquer Aceh. More than 25 years of open warfare ensued between the Achenese and the Dutch. The Achenese Sultan, Muhammad Daud Shah, surrendered to the Dutch in 1903 and was exiled in 1905. Until the end of Dutch colonial rule, however, Aceh was never fully pacified. How do women rulers and warriors fit into all of this? According to Elsa Clave Selik, women rulers are relatively common in Aceh. The Sultanate was ruled for half a century by four sultanas. This was in the 13th, 14th, and second half of the 17th centuries. Al-Maliko Wabisa, 
Malika, Asha, and Paduka Sitaladam ruled as regents in Pasay, a kingdom in the north of Sumatra, later absorbed by the Sultanate of Aceh. Quote, Although their political power cannot be denied, no military operations were ever mentioned. Apparently, these queens were never on the battlefield. In Aceh, as in the rest of the Malay world, women rulers did not mean women fighters. It was even the opposite. The reign of the female rulers inaugurated, indeed, a period of calm in war activities. War was replaced with intense diplomatic negotiations, as several Dutch accounts testify. After the death of the Sultan Iskandathani, his widow, Taj al-Alam, succeeded him and was the first female ruler to use the title of Sultana. Europeans who attended her audience exposed clearly her qualities as the ones of an effective and forceful ruler. Unquote. Apparently, Sultana Taj al-Alam, the first Sultana of Aceh, considerably changed governance. She preferred diplomacy to ensure regular trade and security to the Sultanate. The reasoning was that if Aceh's glory is ensured only by conquest, the population would just keep growing poorer. With the new policy, the Kingdom of Aceh lost its hegemony on the Malay Peninsula and western Sumatra, but the prosperity of the port never decreased and the stability of the economy was preserved. Her example was followed by her successors, namely Nur al-Alam Nakiyat al-Din Siyah, 1675-1678, her daughter Inayat Zakiyat al-Din Siyah, 1678-1688, and Kamalat Zainat al-Dinsya, 1688-1699. This is the second time I've come across an unbroken line of four queens. Check out episode 2 for the queens of Patani. And so obviously, women rulers were not entirely unheard of in Aceh. There's a short 1993 book, Wanita Aceh Dalam Pemerintahan dan adapted by Haja Emi Suhaimi and published by Yayasan Pendidikan ni Hashmi. That is one of the inspirations for this episode. The title translates to Achenese Women in Government and at War. We'll take up the government part later, probably on Patreon. For this episode, we'll be focusing on the war part of things. I wanted to do this also as a shout-out to episode 4's Laksamana Kamalhayati, whose story remains one of my absolute favorites. To recap, it is said that Kamalhayati led her Inongbale army, or army of widows, against the Dutch and after several violent battles, killed Cornelis de Houtman on September 11, 1599. The success in battle earned Kamalhayati the title of Laksamana, Admiral, the first woman in Nusantara to have this title. She stayed active in both diplomacy and fighting the Portuguese in the years afterward. There is some dispute on the historical account of Kamalhayati, but that's a story for another day. So, from Laksamana Kamalhayati's time in the 1600s, we're fast-forwarding to the period of 1874 to 1904, where Juan Chutnyak was fighting the Dutch during the Achenese War. You'll probably notice that all the names I mentioned have honorifics. In Aceh, the title Tuanku or Tioku is used for descendants of important land-owning families during the Sultanate. The title Chutnyak or Pochut and Chut are used for female members of these families. 
Chutnak Din was born in Lampadang, the Kingdom of Aceh, around 1848 to a prominent family. Her father, Tukunanta Setia, was an ulebalang, a word that refers to the nobility which ruled over the regencies of the Aceh Sultanate and the colonial province prior to 1946. He was the ruler of a territory called Sixth Mukim, which had its capital at Pukanbada. Her grandfather was also a nobleman, Tuku Nantasiek, whom the Sultan of Aceh trusted greatly. It's said that her mother was the daughter of another Ulibalang named Lampagu. When she was around 12, a match was made between Chutnyak Din and Tuku Chik Ibrahim, the son of another noble from Lamnga. However, she was too young to get married, so for a time, Tuku Chik Ibrahim would come to Lampadang to visit her and her family with gifts. Eventually, they did get married, as far as I can tell, in the year 1862, which would make her around 14. The timeline gets a bit hazy here, but we do know that sometime afterward, both her father and her husband would be martyred at the Battle of Selaglitarun. Again, I found conflicting years for this, but it was most probably 1878. Swearing revenge against the Dutch colonizers, Chutnak Din took up her husband's command of the Achenese girl of force. She proclaimed that her father and husband should not be mourned because they had entered heaven as Islamic shaheed or martyrs. Tuku Umar, an army commander from Mulabo, West Aceh, was impressed by her and proposed marriage. Note that according to some accounts, they were actually related. Cousins, possibly. At first, she rejected him, but she agreed when he assured that she would be still allowed to be part of the military struggle. They were married in 1880. Today, we'd probably call them something like a power couple, and their wedding was said to have greatly inspired Achenese fighters. They had a daughter named Chutgambang. In 1893, Tuku Umar surrendered to the Dutch and made an oath of allegiance to the colonial government as represented by General Dijkerhoff, Aceh's military governor. Why he did this remains unclear, but the Achenese say it is a tipu muslihat, a smart trick. And it does appear to be the case, as Tuku Umar and Chutnyak Din fled the Dutch camp after four years taking weapons and ammunition with them. The two continued their fight in the region of Daya, then Woyla, then Malabo. Unfortunately, Tuku Umar was killed in an 1899 ambush. Chutnyak Din survived and did not surrender, going deeper into the jungles of the western coast. At this point, Chutnyak Din was considerably older, almost blind, and quite weak. She was betrayed by her war companion, Pang Laut Ali, who revealed her position to the Dutch Lieutenant Veltman in 1905. She was then finally arrested with several of her companions. She apparently tried to kill herself, but she failed. There is a Dutch photograph showing her sitting on a bench shortly after being captured. It's a painful photograph. Chutnak Din is bent over her hands on her lap, palms pointing upward as if in despair. She is frail and obviously distraught. Her face is scrunched up. I don't know who Pang Laot Ali is in this photograph, but it's said that he's in this photograph. There are four people here with her. The young woman behind her stares at the camera in open disdain while the three other men frown apprehensively. She was sent to prison in Kutaraja, then exiled to Sumedang in 1906, where she died two years later on November 9, 1908. She was 60 years old and a warrior to her last breath. Up to her death, she refused to acknowledge Dutch authority. 
Next, we'll talk about Chutnak Mutia, a heroine frequently mentioned alongside Chutnak Din for reasons that will become clear to you in a minute. You've heard of the terms colonization or decolonization in bits and pieces. But do you find European colonization too broad and too complicated to get into? Well, there is now a podcast for you. Join me, Fidelity, on an introduction through the history of colonization. We will cover not just the major wars and conquests that took place, but also the perspectives of people who have been neglected in the grand Eurocentric narrative of discovery in colonial lands. You can find the History of Colonization podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Chutnak Mutia was born in 1870 in North Aceh. Like Chutnak Din, her father was also an Ulebalang. His name was Tuko Bendaud and he was the chief of Perak District in Pasay, East Aceh. Tuko Bendaud was known for resisting Dutch authority. He refused to sign their short declaration. Her name, Mutia, literally means pearl. Side note, I didn't really make the connection until I googled how to pronounce her name because Mutia spelled M-E-U-T-I-A is pronounced much the same way as mutya, M-U-T-Y-A, the Filipino word for pearl. As the daughter of Anule Balang, she was taught their religion, Islam, but she also learned to use the iconic renchong of Aceh. A renchong is a type of knife originating in Aceh. It is single-edged, slightly concave, with water buffalo horn used for the hilt, The length varies, and so does the design, which depends on who it was made for. Its sheath typically has Quranic verses engraved on it. Originally a fighting weapon, it's most often seen today in the martial art of Benchaksilat and worn during traditional ceremonies. Like Chutnyak Din, Chutnyak Mutia entered into an arranged marriage when another noble, Chutnyak Asya, arranged her with one of her sons, Tuku Siam Sarif. She had two other sons, Tuku Aidit and Tuku Muhammad. This becomes important later. In some accounts, it's said that these three were actually her nephews whom she adopted. We'll refer to them as her sons. Chutnag Mutea did not appear to like her husband, Tuku Samsarif, very much. He was quite powerful, having been named Ulibalang by the Dutch general Van Hoitz. But that was the problem, because Chutnag Mutea, taking after her father, resisted Dutch authority. Which makes me wonder why he approved that match. But anyway, she divorced him and married his brother, Tuku Muhammad, instead. Tuku Muhammad, also known as Tuku Chiktunong, hated the Dutch. So when the Dutch took his hometown, Kurutu District, not long after their wedding, he and Chutnag Mutia went into the forest of Pasai and lived as guerrilla fighters. In the dramatized version of events by author Maria Elvire, Chutnak Mutia changed her sarong and bajukurong into a pair of black trousers and a black shirt with a high neck, and she wore a renchong on her waist. Their renchong and swords were no match for Dutch artillery, so they decided to even out the odds by attacking the Dutch and taking their weapons for use against them. Some other things they allegedly did were to derail a Dutch train and ambush their soldiers. 
They also sent an invitation to the Dutch to a feast which required them to ride boats. But the boats were rigged and the guerrillas sank them. While in the forest, she gave birth to her first child, a boy called Rajasabil or Tuku Rajasabi. The Dutch became aware of Tuku Chiktunong's activities when a successful attack was carried out on a regiment led by Sergeant Volaires. According to Maria Elvira, the locals were angered when his regiment slept in a munasa, which is a mosque that can be used as a communal place for social activities. Several villages gather around a common munasa. Perhaps they found this disrespectful, rubbing salt in the wound, so this regiment was ambushed. I was curious, so I googled around a little and found just one other mention of this Sergeant Volaires in a Leiden University microform, which appeared to be a collection of typewritten dispatches from the 1970s. In these dispatches, the writer is documenting his visit to a Dutch graveyard, and he wrote that he found out that on January 26, 1905, in the Munasa of Morande Padja, the patrol of Sergeant Volaires was completely destroyed. And this happened because of Tuku Chik Tunong. So the Dutch were very angry about this. And on March 5, 1905, during a journey to Lok Sumawe, Tuku Chik Tunong was arrested by Lieutenant Van Buren and imprisoned and sentenced to death. The widow Chutnak Mutia then married Pang Nangro, Tuku Chik Tunong's close friend. By most accounts, this marriage was endorsed by Tuku Chiktunong right when he knew he was about to die. With her third husband, she continued to fight against the Dutch, bringing along her son, Tuku Rajasabi, who was just around five years old. Pang Nangro was a formidable fighter. In just three months, in 1907, the Dutch recorded him as having attacked Dutch trains twice, shot at them five times, attacked the camp at Lok Sukon five times, Dutch patrol troops five times, sabotaged the railway 22 times, and the telephone system 54 times. It is assumed that Chutnak Mutia was with him for most, if not all, of these attacks. Sadly, in 1910, Pang Nangro was fatally shot during a battle in Paya Chichem. Chutnak Mutia and her son managed to escape, but one month later, on October 22, 1910, they were tracked down. Chutnak Mutia was martyred at 40 years old, having lived her life on her own terms. To summarize, Chutnak Din and Chutnak Mutia were two noble women turned guerrilla fighters who were widowed twice and defied the Dutch colonizers to the very end of their lives. On May 2, 1964, they were both awarded the title of National Hero by then-President Sokarno. You still find their legacy everywhere. The Chutnak Din Naganraya Airport in Molabo bears Chutnak Din's name, and her grave can be visited in Sumedang where she died in exile. She is featured on stamps and the 10,000 rupiah banknote from the 1998 series. There was also a 1988 movie about her on YouTube, but the titles are in Bahasa Indonesia. Chutnak Mutia is currently featured on the 1,000 rupiah note as part of the National Heroes series, I couldn't find a podcast or video on her in English, so I hope this brings more attention to her story. It's very striking how similar their lives were despite being born two decades apart. In one fictionalized version of her life, the author even imagines that Chutnak Mutio was inspired to become a guerrilla by Chutnak Din, which is not too far-fetched. Throughout this, we also saw how some members of the nobility and even the resistance worked with the Dutch, betraying their own. 
Colonization is not simple, it's multi-layered, it reshapes many social structures, and it is always oppressive. Women like Chutnak Din and Chutnak Mutea are a testament to the spirit of independence that we continue to fight for to this day. In the next episode, we'll move on to the less well-documented and even the anonymous Achenese women at war. Thank you for listening to episode 19, part 1. As always, thank you to our patrons, Cairo, Shami Bimaymilish, Jennifer, Christina, Raul, Raymond, Chito, Matt, Ashley, Shireen, Charlie, Chanda, Yati, Kara, and Mando. If you want to join the Patreon, you can give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, a shout-out at the end of the next episode, and the occasional bonus episode. Like I said, we'll talk about Achenese women in government over on Patreon. Other bonus episodes include Nyage de Pinate, the harbor master of Gresik, an interview with Haldi Patra on the Minangkabang Matriarchal Society, Maying Tafan and the Krom Clone, Queen Soriothai and the War Elephants, and Paz Marquez Benitez and Dead Stars. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStory, S-E-A, pod. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. This podcast was hosted and edited by Agas Ramirez. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Maraming salamat!